I'm your host, Dr. Tannis Kitchener. On this episode, we are going to talk nutrition and fuel with the expert voice of Marcy Robinson. Marcy is a registered dietitian and exercise physiologist. Her practice is Achieve Health and Performance in Basalt, Colorado. Anything else you would like to say about yourself? No, I would just say, you know, I'm a registered dietitian by trade, so I see people from all over with all kinds of issues, you know, whether that is children to aging adults, from the uh, recreational athlete to the performance-based athlete, from um, people who are struggling with GI issues, people who want to optimize their health, people who want to, of course, lose weight, or maybe even uh, young kids who are trying to gain weight. I've had um, all over the spectrum, and I enjoy each and every client that I work with just to kind of help people see how powerful nutrition can be in helping them achieve their goals. You can attest to this. It's fun to be on the side of optimizing. You know, sometimes we fix problems that are there, but sometimes it's just the fine, like, tweaking of things to help people optimize their health and their well-being. So we sat and talked for quite a while about all the different exciting things we could chat about. There's so many overlaps between nutrition and sports performance and just general health and wellness. Let's start with how do you maximize your fuel intake for optimal performance and really coming at a level of how do you know you're getting what your body needs? I see some folks who I ask them, you know, what's what's your nutrition like? And they say, oh, it's great. And I, in the back of my head, I'm going, is it? How do I know? So there's a lot of fad diets out there. There's a lot of, um, especially in this valley where we're keyed into performance and health and wellness. What are some of the things you see people maybe doing wrong that they could do better than when they think they're doing themselves a favor? And what are some signs that they should look out for that might be indicative that they need to tune into their nutrition a little bit differently? Yeah, well, first of all, I would say anybody who participates in regular exercise is some form of athlete, recreational athlete, endurance athlete, performance athlete, and therefore what they put into their mouth matters. And and sometimes for some people, just knowing that food is fuel is the first place to start. (laughs) You know, know, what you eat might be, well, what's in the fridge or – Gosh, I hate cooking, so what can I go buy prepared at Whole Foods? I mean, that there, you know, we, we when we look at food, some people some people don't have that really good relationship. Well, this is my fuel, just like gasoline for a car. So we have to start there, identifying, okay, well, depending on how much you move or how much exercise or what what you're doing is gonna require a different amount of amount of fuel and different kinds of fuel. You know, if you're trying to be a um, a performance-based athlete, like a performance-based race car, you can't put, you know, leaded, you know, regular fuel in there. You're using high-quality fuel. So there's also a quality as well as quantity, you know, that that I work with people on. But it's first understanding that there is fuel. And for some people, they can be overly (laughs) into the minute details of what that fuel is, how many calories, how much protein, how much, you know, carbohydrate do I need to be eating and when. But in the essence, it's it's food, right? And so we I also try to encourage people to think about like, okay, yeah, it's carbohydrate, but are you getting that carbohydrate from chocolate cake and that's your carbohydrate fuel? Or is it coming from fruits like in vegetables and whole grains and those kinds of things? So Understanding the broader topics around fuel is a place to start. And then how much? Yeah, that, that is completely individualized. And so 
there are tools and apps and and things that you know you can come up with these general calculations of how much fuel you would need if you are this age and male or female and and all those kinds of things and that's a place to start and that's what i often do with people if they have no really relationship with calories we have to talk a little bit about calories cuz calories are energy energy is the unit that we measure you know to provide that fuel and and so there there's education always starts with an individual of where they're at and where they're trying to go my feeling though in going back is really to try to make it as simple as possible to meet maximum benefit so for some people that is talking about the bigger picture of food and fruits and vegetables and grains and what's going to fuel that exercise, what's going to fuel, fuel the recovery coming back from exercise. For some people, they've already got that and they want to know, no, I need this many calories so that I can, you know, have this kind of output and so I can maintain this kind of weight. So it goes all over the place. I don't know if I've answered your question or created more. You, you, I can see your, your wheels spinning up there in your head. <laughs> Exactly. All right. So you got me on track for a new question. Um, If somebody has never visited a nutritionist before and isn't quite sure where to start, do you recommend that they would start with like a food diary? Is that always a point like point A start? Um, A lot of times, yes. So recording food, it can be a really great tool to kind of open up discussion, right? So it allows even just three days. Usually I tell people, I know that keeping a food diary can be a pain in the butt. I want you to do it for just three days. Two weekdays and a weekend, um, you know, something that I can kind of get an idea of patterns. And on that, in that food diary, I look at a lot of different things. I say, write down the time that you eat. Anything that goes into your mouth, food or drink that has calories, and just diary through the day. And then from that, I can look at patterns. Oh, here's somebody who wakes up in the morning and doesn't eat until 2, yet they've already done a workout and gotten their kids off to school and done all these things. I'm like, okay, how did you fuel for that when you didn't eat till 2 o'clock in the afternoon? So there's lots of patterns that can be seen in just timing of fueling. Then, obviously, I can see, okay, what kind of fuels are you putting in? That's just a very basic thing. Mm -hmm. And then we can get down into the nitty-gritty, you know, of, oh, geez, you know, am I getting all of the food groups? Am I getting all of macronutrients as well as the vitamins, the micronutrients. So it is a definitely a tool. I have to say that some people are resistant to, to using that, and then I kind of just have to kind of work with that. But the tool can be very a simple diary, or there's fancy apps. Now with technology, sometimes people think that's much easier than writing mm. it down. So we can use things like MyFitnessPal or um, Chronometer. There's a lot of apps that will just already have the food databases, and they can select foods, and we can kind of look at that. But those things don't really do well on their own. Some people kind of find those, oh, yeah, I've done that app. I've logged my food. But if you're not using it as a tool to say, okay, well, what can we glean besides just calories? Mm -hmm. You know, because there's so much more about fueling behaviors that you get other than just the calorie amount. So when I think about doing a food diary, I have to admit, I kind of cringe a little bit on the inside. Yeah, nobody wants to. (laughs) But what you just said made me go, oh, actually, that sounds really awesome. You're talking about what can we add in to make sure you have what you need, not, "Uh uh-oh, you shouldn't have done that. Shame on you. Take that away. Um, That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense to me, and it makes me kind of want to do it. (laughs) Good. (laughs) My tagline actually is always, what is not there? 
not what is there. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not looking at what is there. I'm looking at what's not there first. And then we actually look at, because if, if, if you think about it, if I'm looking for all these fruits and vegetables and they're not there, I don't need to say potato chips, you know, whatever is there, because I'm saying, hey, you know, for this snack instead, I want you to have some yogurt with some berries on top. I didn't say don't eat the potato right. chips and because that's, it's not really, it's not productive. It's not what we're trying to achieve. Right. And uh, in my, on my table in my clinic, I'm also often looking at, you know, okay, do they have a good baseline? And usually the answer is, okay, I need to send them somebody like you. But one thing I can focus on that I feel very competent in is hydration. Like mm. how much water are you drinking? What's your output like? You know, and as a pelvic floor therapist, I'm a little bit more in tune with, you know, how that relates to that area, but also just general performance. Mm -hmm. And so I would add in not just things that have calories, but also water on the diet. Yes. Log. Yes, absolutely. Should, Anything, I don't, shouldn't call it a diet log. On your food diary. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, that does that does definitely come in as probably, the, I would say, the next thing. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the one thing that I learned is that you can't overwhelm people with too many ideas. Mm -hmm. So a hydration as you probably know, has a whole wealth of kind of interplay with performance as well as a nutrient for digestion, as well as especially in our 95-degree days, you know, mm -hmm. it's about controlling temperature. So there is so much to go on with fluids. So I usually almost, I hate to say it, but I try to take that as like kind of step two. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Feeling first, hydration second, but both very, very important. Yeah, that makes sense. We've had Caitlin on the show before, and she just mentioned to me the other day that you had opened up her eyes as to different types of fuels for different activities. So she was describing, I think she was mountain biking with you, mm -hmm. and she pulled out a bar, and uh, you kind of drew her attention to the fact that that's kind of heavy. That's great for a slow, low endurance activity like hiking, and but for riding, you know, you really recommended something else. And correct me if I got this wrong at all, but... If not, go ahead and elaborate for the listeners on that between different types of activities and what types of fuel you should look for and when you should eat them. Well, it makes me feel so great that Caitlin was such a good student and, and, and did so well because she could report that information to you. Exactly correct. So different fuels are going to fuel different activities just based on how your body digests them, absorbs them, and processes them. Um, so when it comes to exercise, carbohydrates fuel exercise. That's that's kind of the number one thing to know. When you are exercising, moving, your body has two choices for fuel, carbohydrates or fats. And fat is a source of fuel, but you know what? You and I are doing the best fat burning that we will do all day by just sitting here. <laughs> the minute that you stand up and start moving, your body actually needs more carbohydrate because that's the power fuel. And as the heart rate goes up, the more your body is going to rely on carbohydrate as fuel. So for um, Caitlin, we kind of pushed her a little bit the day we were mountain biking and, you know, we were sweating and our heart rates are up, were up. And so when she chose the bar, it had nuts, it had a lot more fat, um, protein that was good, that's really good for after mm. in the exercise. But during exercise, the body, it really has a hard time turning that around to energy. So therefore, I said, you know what, you probably should try something that's going to be a little bit easier absorbed. We talked about chews. We talked about using things like, you know, um, I'm a big fan of Fig Newtons or Fig Newmans, if you want to be fancy. You know, things that will have some carbohydrate but will break down quicker and turn into energy in the body 
without having to rely on the gut for all that processing. So, you know, carbohydrates, is, as you know, and maybe, you know, for the listeners out there, carbohydrates turn into sugar. And so a lot of the products that, that, that are for exercise tend to be sugar-based. And everybody says, oh, no, but I shouldn't be eating sugar. I don't want to eat sugar. Sugar's bad. Well, during exercise, it's the most easily accessible you know, fuel choice. And especially on if you're on that top level and top end where you're pushing your body hard, that energy, that fuel that you take in as sugar is going to be burned and turn into power. Now, if you're just going for a little 30-minute walk with the dog, you probably don't need to think about powering through with carbohydrate. But, you know, definitely if you are riding a mountain bike and that heart rate's high, that carbohydrate makes a big difference. So, Yes, fuel choice and when you do that matters. And also understanding that you have to be able to take that fuel and process it and turn it into energy so that it actually can be utilized. And that's where some of those other choices just kind of fall because it causes too much GI distress to actually turn it into fuel or energy. Thank you. That's great clarification. And I think a lot of our listeners will, that will resonate. Can we talk about timing and amount of protein intake? Yes. So the protein is important, especially um, in the recovery of exercise, intense exercise. I would say there is a window after the exercise session is done um, within 30 minutes, ideally within the first hour, that the body is most receptive into starting that process of repair or what, you know, what is known scientifically as the anabolic process instead of the other process, which we do during exercise, which is catabolic, breaking things down, tearing down the muscles that eventually then will become stronger, um, tearing down food to provide fuel, then you now need to turn around to then now recover and rest and restore that that, that muscle in, in, in those stores. So this idea of having that window right afterward is where protein comes in, in, in into mind. About 20 grams of protein after a meal, or I mean, at a recovery meal right after that exercise session can be very beneficial. Again, I think it's really important to say, well, what kind of exercise would generate that need to have it right away? Mm -hmm. It's intense, you know, longer duration, heavy exercise. Going for a walk for 45 minutes doesn't mean you need to come home and have a recovery shake. But going on a, you know, you know, three, three hour hike or a three hour mountain bike ride where you're kind of pushing your body, you really could benefit from that, especially if um, as women, <laughs> older women, as we get older, we really want to maintain our muscle mass. Mm -hmm. And so all of us out here in the Roaring Fork Valley who like to go, go, go and do these long endurances, really it can be hard on the muscles without getting adequate protein. Mm -hmm. So that window becomes important. I think about um, anytime you do an exercise that's going to cause muscle soreness, mm -hmm. that means you've pushed to the point where the muscles are starting to break down in response to that load, which is great because if we give it the protein and we give it the building blocks, that's the stimulus for building the muscles back up and building them up stronger. Exactly. Right? So I think that that's a good cue. If you do an activity, you're like, ah, I'm probably going to be a little sore from this then you need extra protein. Well, and I think that you probably can attest to people being on your table with excessive soreness or a mm -hmm. set excessive um, 
uh, poor recovery. Mm -hmm. So as an athlete gets older, and I do feel like we have a lot of master's athletes these days in our valley, I mean, who are skiing in their 70s and 80s and, and doing big bike rides and those kinds of things. And, you know, there is a point where that exercise can be actually more, you know, doing more harm than good, because especially if there's not proper nutrition and proper recovery, the stress it puts on the body, the muscles, the tissues, the joints, you probably see there on your table. Mm -hmm. And so that's where our interplay, I think, becomes really key is that, yes, that exercise is great if you're providing adequate fuel and adequate recovery so that you're not overwhelming the stress on the body. Mm So you said 20 grams of protein on average? Yeah, 20 to 25. Again, when you consume protein, I don't – one way to do it is to, you know, a protein shake, right? But the idea is to do it in a food source that also is going to provide carbohydrate as well. Okay. So the protein repairs back the muscle and helps that process. And then the carbohydrate helps repair, replenish the carbohydrate stores in the muscle. Mm. And it works synergistically. So a little bit of carbohydrate, carbohydrate at that time actually promotes protein synthesis, or sorry, muscle, um, muscle protein synthesis. So it starts repairing that process right away, rather than, um, you know, again, waiting till the next meal. It's fine if you're going out on a hike and you come back, you know, and maybe lunch is going to be in a couple hours, that's fine. But if you've gone for that big ride, the recovery is really important. You want to just start that right away. And then the meal should still happen, but that's like an hour to two hours later. Is there a particular type of carbohydrate that's best at that? Are we talking like greens? Are we talking grains? Are we talking starches? Okay, so right there, let's talk about what is a carbohydrate. So carbohydrates are our fruits. There are grains. There are a dairy is a carbohydrate. Beans have carbohydrate in them. Veggies have a very tiny bit of carbohydrate. So they're they're not, you know, veggies are pretty much vitamins and water. So they're not going to provide a large source. So if you're at home and you have availability to eat fresh food, I always recommend that. So the, the type, though, that really matters is there's research to show that whey protein, which actually comes from dairy, is the most um, beneficial in promoting that, that muscle recovery. And I know we have probably a lot of vegetarians, a lot of people who are, in, you know, health is important, eat more vegetarian-based. And I think that's great. And it's okay to use vegetarian-sourced protein, but you're going to typically need a lot more of it. So if you pick a vegetarian, like, say, peanut butter or something, to get to 20 grams of protein, you're going to have to eat quite a bit of peanut mm-hmm. butter. So so sometimes that's where I would recommend a shake-based, you know, recovery food option. You know, add some fruit in there for some carbohydrate, plus a protein the powder that's going to have, you know, that's plant-based. But then that would give like kind of that complex, um, all nutrients in one place. Thank you for that. So if you're throwing a piece of protein on a green salad, you still need to add a, you need to add a carbohydrate to that. Yeah. So get this perfect pair. Yeah. I mean, maybe, so if you're having a salad, maybe there's some strawberries on top or some blueberries on top or some dried cranberries on on there. Uh, Maybe you have a slice of bread with it. It does not have to be, you know, overwhelming. I think sometimes we get, well, everybody knows who's ever done an event the night before they feed them pasta, right? (laughs) So there's like the athletic event, exercise equals you must consume a lot of pasta. That's not necessarily the case, but you do need to have a balance of those nutrients. And what does 20 grams of protein look like on so, the plate? So 
well, on your plate. Let's see. It just depends on what you're going to put on your plate. <laughs> a good example to me would be like two scoops of a protein powder, whether that's whey protein or protein powder, a cup of fruit, a half of a banana, and some dairy alternative. It's it's a, it's a it's just a small smoothie. It's supposed to be like a snack, okay? okay. Because then a real balanced meal should be coming one to two hours later, right? And so that might look like a piece of fish with some rice and some, you know, a salad on the side, you know, like a, a healthy balanced plate. But that's that's for getting the overall nutrition. That first recovery is like, how can I get some good protein? And there's all different, you know, again, theories about for some people – I don't. I don't know about you, but if it's hot and I've just exercised, the thought of like the thought of just eating something heavy or dense like food is not appealing. And oftentimes, drinking is more appealing. It's um, it's why smoothies I kind of tend as a go to because I even tell people like, hey, make your smoothie, throw it in a cooler, and as you're getting back from your ride and driving back home drink it then. It's where the chocolate milk after athletic events came from. I don't know if you've ever done one of those where they'll have like little cartons of chocolate milk at the finish line because you're going to get that protein mm-hmm. and that carbohydrate in a drink form that's easy to intake right after exercise. Okay. Let's see. Where where should we take the, the listeners next? Well, you know what? It was interesting when, when we were talking earlier, when we were talking about fueling, right, and how to get it right Sometimes that can be such a source of stress. And I'm glad that you talked about when you when you interact with your clients, you say, you know, yeah, hey, if I can only do the basics and if I feel that there's something off there, you can refer them. Mm-hmm. Because what happens, I think, is it can be so stressful to figure out what to eat and thinking that you're going to do it wrong that people don't do it all. Mm. Or um, maybe fall into some bad behaviors or bad habits. You know, the way that we eat is influenced by lots of different things. And a lot of times it really starts from a basis of, you know, health or performance and thinking you're doing the right thing. But kind of getting askew with, you know, you read an article or, some, you know, you overheard something from somebody who's really fast say, hey, you should eat this. And then all of a sudden your eating gets kind of all over the place. And, you know, some sometimes people think they're doing well fueling, as we started out talking about, but they actually get a little bit disordered or, you know, into kind of some, I would say, some bad, bad ways of thinking that actually could be doing more harm than good. What would you recommend people look for in the way they're thinking about food or implementing a diet that would trigger you to go, okay, we need to reassess your relationship with your fuel? Well, so... Like I was saying, if you start from a place of health and trying to do things right, then what I look for in someone who's thinking they're doing things right is if it's too overly restricted. So if someone, um, you know, is is trying to have a meal and have something for lunch, basically, and, um, you know is only eating salads because they know they need to get all these vegetables. Again, that's coming from a good place. But if they're if they're only eating salads, yet their exercise that they're doing requires that they they need to have carbohydrate, but they're there's, you know, maybe they overheard someone, you know, or read something about how carbohydrates are bad, sugar is bad. I don't want to have that sugar. And so they're not putting any carbohydrate into their lunch. 
And if I start talking to people like that, you know, I can identify pretty quickly that there actually might be a fear around that or some just, again, misconception about what would be bad about that. So these disordered eating patterns can be very, very um, subtle, Mm-hmm. you know, in, in someone. Um, or, you know, it's this idea that, okay, I get food as fuel, and yes, I'm very good about that, but I didn't exercise today, so I don't need to eat very much. I don't need to eat anything because I didn't exercise. And it's that disrelationship between, well, you, you know, woke up, you did chores, you went to work. Yeah, yes, you didn't go run out and do a sweat, but your body needs fuel just to live, just to do those kinds of things. So you still need to eat, and you still need to eat well. So what I would say is in in the cases of how do you kind of find or what kind of triggers do you see, it's just someone who just has a very strict, um, um, inflexible, I would say flexibility, inflexibility about eating that can kind of highlight some things that then you need to dig a little deeper in. What are your feelings about fuel? What fuels do you think are good? Do you have any fuels that you think are absolutely bad? Mm-hmm. Is there any absolutely things that you absolutely won't eat? And then you go, oh, okay, we've identified some things. Let's talk a little bit more about that. And how is that creating maybe, you know, you, I know you're trying to go for health. I know you're trying to, you know, maybe even say weight, lose weight. But mm-hmm. how could you be actually doing the opposite <laughs> in terms of how you're eating or how you're thinking about food? I work with uh, quite a few climbers, and I see it sometimes in the climbing community. The drive for the strength-to-weight ratio mm-hmm. is, is huge, and it can be very performance-enhancing. But you have to realize that your fuel also fuels your performance as mm-hmm. well. So finding that happy balance, maybe, maybe working with a nutritionist or a dietitian. Uh, let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Should somebody look for one or the other? Yeah, so you know the the deal with a nutritionist is there doesn't come it doesn't come with any um, needed qualification. So you could call yourself a nutritionist. You know, you've read you're you're a PT and you you read nutritional articles. You could say I'm also a nutritionist. Um, you could work at Whole Foods in the nutrition aisle and call yourself a nutritionist. It really doesn't come with it any qualifications. A dietitian has a, a four-year degree in a nutrition-related field and has completed an internship in nutrition and has become registered as a dietitian. In some states, there's actually licensure. We don't have licensure in Colorado, but we have registration. So that definitely tells a greater um, ex- ex- expertise in all of the aspects of nutrition because nutrition is not we talked about individualizing it, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not, um, it shouldn't be fad-based or what, if it works for me, I shouldn't go around and tell everybody to do exactly what I do, mm-hmm. right? It should be, okay, well, what's going to work best for that person mm-hmm. to meet their goals? Just like that uh, bar that Caitlin had was great at one point, but not great right at that moment. Right, right. So I'm going to encourage as we wrap up all of our listeners who hopefully we planted a little seed and, you know, kind of wet the pilot for, ooh, I want more. I want more knowledge. I want more specifics for my performance, for my health and wellness, my longevity. Mm-hmm. Right. I talked to patients about being the centurion athlete that into the mature state, you're still performing well. You still have good muscle balance. You still have all those things. Let's consider looking up a registered dietitian. 
Yeah, and unfortunately, Tanis, though, that may mean that they're not on your table as much because their bodies are doing so much better. But yeah, that is the goal. It's not just about getting rid of pain. It's about improving performance. So maybe they can be on my table. We can be talking about going to that next level. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody. And thank you so much, Marcy. Thank you.